You're listening to the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. No nonsense, just a crazy mix of life, business, the funny, and of course we're going to talk about your money. But just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. Uh, I love getting a chance to talk to colleagues in the industry. And so today's guest, my good friend, Josh O'Gara, is no exception to that. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hopefully, uh, we don't nerd out too much. And you know, <laughs> I know. No, <laughs> this, uh, and, and that, under, understandable, right? <laughs> and, that, and that is a very genuine, real risk, especially when I think back on the last time you and I were sitting down talking together for a while, I was like, oh, that was a great conversation, but certainly not one that I would say is better for public consumption. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Excited to be on the show and thanks for having me. We'll get so we'll get the painful, challenging questions out of the way first. If you could have dinner with any famous person, and it could be somebody alive or somebody who's passed, who would you want to have a meal with? Yeah. So this I was I was thinking about this and it's it's interesting because famous is sort of a, a relative term, right? So the first thought that came to my mind in my house, my my dad is is kind of famous because uh I've got a five year old and a three year old. And uh, my dad actually passed away when I was 24. So he comes up in conversation a lot. And, you know, I, unfortunately, I didn't have the chance when I was growing up to really get to know my dad that well. And it'd be great just to get kind of get his you know, perspective on you know, a lot of things in life. He, 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 was, he was off the boat from Ireland. He came over here when he was 18 years old. You know, he actually came over here as a Jesuit priest. And he was he was in the Catholic Church until he was mid thirties. So anyway, he, I, I'm sure he'd have a ton of perspective and interesting thoughts on on a variety of subjects. And you know, he was always very stoic and you know, kind of reserved Irish guy. And you know, so never really got to ask him a lot of questions about you know growing up and you know his perspective on a lot of things. So that that was the first person that came to my mind. That's good. I especially like what you were sharing about your dad. I I very fortunate at getting to work with mine now actively and having you know being able to have literally a, a life of just relation and influence and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, I I also appreciate the kindred Irish connection and, and yeah. know exactly where you were going with that. So yeah, I think that that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. All right, if you were going to start a band, what would the name of your band be? So. Full disclosure, I was never musically inclined. So I know probably some people listening to the podcast have, you know, had the opportunity to give this a lot of thought because, you know, they had sort of dreams in their head about being a lead singer, you know, uh, of a band. I, I never, I was never, you know, in that mindset. But, you know, I think the first, the first name that came to my head was actually Dot Rats. And anybody who grew up in the Boston area would know what that's referencing. I grew up in Dorchester, which is the largest section of Boston. And growing up, anyone from Dorchester, we were called Dot Rats. So I always think of bands that like the most, the most, the ones that I sort of have the most connection with are bands that they grew up together. They started playing with together when they were teenagers and they just, they maybe not, they don't get along, you know, <laughs> perfectly all the time, but they put some great music out there. They're not just this, you know, corporate sort of concoction of, you know, attractive individuals that have good singing voices they, you know they're 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 you know they've been together for a long time and they make great music so that that was what came to my mind is you know just having some friends that i've known for a long time and you know hearkening back to the our roots if, from dorchester love it yeah. and and just just by the way there's definitely plenty of bands out there with people with with marginal musical talent so it's yeah. it's okay i totally get where you're coming from but yeah you know no that's awesome i, I, I love that all right 
If you could have one superpower, what superpower would you want to have? This one was easy. I would love to be able to fly. Uh, flying is in my family. My my grandfather actually built the first airport in St. Croix. My uncle owned owned a charter airline down in St. Croix, which my, my cousin now runs as well. So it's the third generation. I've always, you know, wanted to, you know, be up in the air. I had dreams of being a <laughs> fighter pilot and all that good stuff when I was a kid. So yeah, definitely. I would love to be able to fly. I, I made an attempt at it, jumping out of an airplane a couple of times, but you know, not, not quite the same of, uh, as having the superpower of being able to fly. I like it. No, I think this still ranks probably number one for me most of the time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I like that, Spe especially in, in the Washington DC area, given the traffic that just never seems to end. Yeah. It'd be great to not have to <laughs> hop around, do whatever yeah, I want to. Either that or a monster truck, right? Just the <laughs> something. I, yeah. Something that wouldn't something that wouldn't get me arrested. But yeah. We'll see. Besides this podcast, what other podcast would you like to recommend to our listeners? So I'm not a huge podcast listener, but I have recently in like last year or so, uh, I started listening to a couple. One is Bankless around cryptocurrency. I think that's pretty interesting. Again, a lot of the discussion on that show is way over my head because they get pretty deep into the weeds with some of this stuff, but it's just a sort of a curiosity, very, I'm, I'm just a curious person in general. So it's something I don't understand at all, like cryptocurrency, I caught on to that a little bit. And then the other one would be Joe Rogan. I love listening to Joe Rogan and you know, some of the guests that he has on. I think he's, he's a pretty interesting guy in terms of Again, he's he's very curious and, you know, he knows a lot about a lot of different stuff. And again, don't always agree with him on some of his perspectives, but uh, just, you know, has some really interesting guests and some really interesting perspectives on on a lot of different stuff. Yeah, his name has certainly come up a couple of times. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's interesting. All right. The, the crypto one as well sounds interesting. But yeah, having having had conversations with people in that space that you can go real quickly down a rabbit hole of a whole bunch of stuff that I, I too, I'm like, oh. All right, that's a uh, that's a lot more than I was prepared for. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotta put a couple hours of studying afterwards, studying it <laughs> afterwards, trying to catch up on some of the terminology and that sort of thing. Yeah, like there there should be a quiz because if there was, we would not be passing it. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, awesome. So, since we know each other pretty well through NAFA, the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors. Tell the audience about yourself and what's the best part of your day? What do you do and, and what do you love doing the most? Yeah. So it's kind of bananas to say this, but uh, I'm, I've been in the insurance industry almost 20 years. <laughs> it doesn't seem possible, but I got started in the business in 2006 with big mutual company, you know, doing individual life insurance, disability, long-term care, all that good stuff. So my background, I, I always say I grew up, quote unquote, on the individual side of things in the business. And I started to delve into employee benefits, particularly around the, the voluntary benefits offered to companies back in 2016. So, you know, eight years ago, let's say. And my experience working on the individual insurance side of things really went well towards my approach to have a very employee-centered, you know, conversation around benefits and trying to make sure that the employers understand, understand the impacts that their decisions have on, on the rank and file employees. And, you know, particularly as more financial burden is being shifted to those employees through out-of-pocket expenses, premium increases, whatever it may be, you know, those, those decisions are becoming a priority in people's financial lives. And unfortunately, there isn't enough consideration given to those, consider, 
to those decisions, uh, both at, at, at the employer level at, and at the employee level. Not to say that employers don't care, but I think everybody's a little bit frustrated and overwhelmed with the whole benefits discussion, particularly around health insurance. And unfortunately, I think people, a lot of people are at the point where they just kind of throw up their hands and you know they don't know what to do. So uh, getting back to your original question in terms of what my favorite part of the day is, my, I love meeting with employees one-on-one sitting across the desk from, from somebody. And you know, I'm never going to be the answer for all of their problems, but seeing the relief melt, uh, you know, the, the, the stress melt away and the relief come in, you know, when they understand that I'm there as a resource for them and really, you know, want to help them understand, you know, this, the, you know, the situation that they're in around benefits and overall, you know, their, their financial picture, you know, that's really, really what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's why, you know, started the, started the company. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and we have, we take a very, very similar approach. And, and so I want to, I'm going to come back to what you just said, but, but first I want us to go to a high level because, you know, it, it, it it's, Coming into and now the beginning of, of 2024, there's just a, obviously been a lot of stuff going on. Let's talk about the state of employee benefits because it's it's certainly, like you said, it's, it's a challenge that makes a lot of people, I think, want to throw up their hands, not because they're ready to give up, but because it's just kind of hard to know how to do things well and what kind of levers you need to be pulling on to to continue to provide value to employees, take care of them, and make sure that they're going to be successful, not just at, at work, but in life. So what are what are kind of some main trends that you're seeing? Are there, are there consistent issues that you found that pop up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest trend is, is sort of the focus on overall wellness. Uh, wellness has been a hot topic for a long time, you know, focused primarily, initially, it was primarily around health wellness. So, you know, what can what can employers do to cu- encourage you know healthy behaviors around you know medical insurance so that their you know premiums don't continue to increase? So you know I think a lot of times that ends up being sort of a shiny object and something fun to talk about. But in terms of actually delivering on that and strategies around demonstrating ROI from a company perspective, you know there, there's a, there are a lot of issues around just focusing on health wellness and now you bring into the fold you know financial wellness and and mental wellness, which is you know probably the hottest topic in benefits right now, particularly since the pandemic. I think employers are really starting to understand the impacts that the pandemic has had on their employee population. And I think there's a movement towards, you know, more paternalistic approach to the paternalistic may not be the best term to use there, but employer employers want to help their employees out. And particularly with the younger generation coming into the workforce, I think they're more socially minded. They want to, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. It's not just earning a paycheck. I think there's a realization of that on the part of a lot of employers out there. And we're trying to lean into that and get away from the traditional benefits discussion where it's just spreadsheeting a bunch of bad health insurance for no rates and, you know, trying to figure out how to really make an impact in employees' lives. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you covering, you know, those, those three domains now that I think you know, would are, are kind of pillars in, in what would be an effective approach. But I don't think it's as easy for employers to to look at it, you know, from from you know, you we've always obviously, I think, understood the health domain, but now mental health, you know, which can be emotional, spiritual, you know, a couple things under that category. And and then yeah, financial health, which is I think an area that it's it's very, very challenging to know what to do. And I think probably also an area where there's some natural resistance to even wanting to start to dip your toe in that water because it, it can be a bit tricky to know how to navigate that. 
Yeah, and I mean it's it's sort of the separation of the church and state, right? You know, it's it's employers don't necessarily traditionally want to know, you know, what's going on in an employee's life. You know, come to work, do your job, earn your paycheck, and the other stuff, you know, shouldn't be something that falls under the purview of the employer. But you know, particularly with the movement towards work from home and you know the the issues that are going on with stress, anxiety, depression, all that sort of stuff, you know, for an employer not to consider those types of things, I think is. It's not doing right by the employees, but it's impacting their bottom line at this point, which is why I think a lot of employers are waking up to the fact that it needs to at least be talked about whether or not you take a proactive approach to addressing those issues is is another conversation because it, it can be tough to quantify in terms of you know what, what sort of investment are we going to make into this and what's the outcome that we're looking for. You know, it's, it, it's not just a numbers decision at that point. You know, there, there needs to be a, a more comprehensive strategy around benefits and it can't be just a conversation that occurs three months prior to the renewal. You know, it's, it's an ongoing conversation throughout the year, which is part of the reason why before we got on the podcast here, we were talking about, uh, isn't January supposed to be sort of a slower time of the year? And That's it's right. not so much the case anymore because, you know, it's, it's more of an ongoing conversation with employers. No. And, you know, I think I've had a lot of conversations as I'm sure you have as well and, you know, kind of the HR space on culture. Yeah. Right. You know, everybody, most employers that I've ever talked to would all say the same thing. We want to deliver a benefits package that attracts and retains the best talent because why wouldn't you want to do that? But, you know, the benefits portion of that equation is just one part of that puzzle, right? If you, if you have the world's greatest benefits, but a terrible toxic work culture, you're not going to be successful. And so I think it's been interesting to see how, like you were saying, people's perspectives shifted as employers. I think that, that you know, the understanding of, of the importance of culture and also the multifaceted domains that come to the table and taking care of an employee, like you want them to do their best jobs, but to do their best job, they have to be the best version of themselves. And if maybe things are good at work, but not good outside of work, that matters. Yeah. And, and you know, so I think it's it's been good to see that growing recognition happening in a lot of domains that you know, maybe the employer can't solve all of those problems, but there might be opportunities for them to help in some meaningful way, either through the benefits that they provide or in other areas. And I think that that's a real critical conversation that needs to continue to evolve. Yeah. And the, and the, amazing, the amazing part from my perspective is that there are a lot of resources available to employers, employees already that already exist in their current platform that they're just not utilizing because nobody ever really told them about, you know, an EAP program that exists on, you know, your group benefits policy or, you know, whatever, whatever resources that are already available. That's sort of the best starting point to say, all right, what do you have already in place that you may not be utilizing effectively rather than just coming, trying to come in and sell an idea? We all, we all, you know, have these great concepts and products and whatever, but, you know, start, start with where they're at right now, what they have and, and, you know, build on that, figure out exactly what they're attempting to do, because you can only do so much you got to draw a line somewhere in the sand where, you know, you can't, you can't solve the world's problems. So it, it can, it can be, you kind of can go down a rabbit hole where it, it becomes, <laughs> it becomes a more overwhelming situation than when, when you started, because if you're just looking at the cost of benefits, that's a, again, that's that's a pretty straightforward conversation. You know, what what carrier offers the best health insurance plan in your area? What carrier offers the you know best you know life insurance rates on a group basis? Whatever it may be, those conversations you know are much easier 
and you don't necessarily have to have those guardrails or those, you know, you, you don't have to have a conversation around, all right, where, where does it stop? Because you can't do, again, you can't do everything. There's only so many, so much uh, that an employer can devote in terms of resources towards these initiatives. So just figuring out what's the most important thing to that employer based on their population and their you know growth objectives or whatever it may be. Well, and I think, and you and I obviously see this in our daily lives all the time, you know, it's, it's creating a strategy to take advantage of the things that you already have to your point. You know, it may not be there's anything wrong with the benefit package that you're already providing. And very likely isn't that's not that's not the issue. The issue is probably how do we make sure we provide engagement, we provide education, and we deliver advanced continuing regular support to employees through, you know, hopefully a variety of mediums that are available. And and we kind of create this intentional rhythm of doing that because I think a lot of times a lot is left up to employees and the assumption is if we give you enough stuff, you should be able to figure all this out when you need to make critical decisions. And that's, you know, not always the case and certainly maybe not the best approach. And so I think what are, you know, we've tried to emphasize to most of, of the groups that we work with, you know, think of it almost on like a calendar basis, right? How can you create regular and schedule for employees times for education or times for additional engagement, or maybe it's times for, you know, bring a yoga instructor in and have a, like, what can you do creatively that just interrupts the time for them, but in a meaningful way, that's not going to cause challenges in other places, but to make it, you know, a regularity that they're able to get better connected to and, and more help and more support. What have you been doing? You know, I know you do a lot of one-on-ones, but what are some of the other things and strategies that you do when you're working with your clients? Yeah, and I, the the calendar approach to things is really important in my opinion, and just creating a because we've all been in situations where we have a conversation with an employee, a client, whoever it may be, where you uncover a need or you know possible solution for a problem that they're dealing with, and have a great discussion around you know possible you know ways to address that. But then it just stops there because you know you move on to other things. You know you've got a lot of other clients, a lot of other employees to work with. That employee. <clears throat> may not at that particular point in time be ready to take the steps that they need to take to address the issues that they're dealing with. But the next time you're in there in that office or the next time you're, you know, doing a webinar for, you know, you know, a topic around benefits, you know, doing an educational uh, webinar about, you know, how to use an EAP program or whatever it may be, it will click in that employee's mind to say, oh, yeah, we had this conversation about such and such. And, you know, that's still an issue. Maybe it didn't take the steps I needed to take that particular point in time. But again, it's just it's it's showing up consistently and being a resource where I think what you were talking about before in terms of you know creating a great benefit strategy, I think a lot of times it kind of gets stuck in the corner office. You know, the, the, it, again, you and I can nerd out on this stuff and we know all the terminology and products and that sort of stuff, but how do you create a way to effectively communicate and engage employees around that when, you know, they've got a lot of stuff going on in their lives. You know, it's not to us, this stuff makes sense and you should do it right away. But just because that make sense and you know we can see the steps that they need to take to to you know address the issues that they're dealing with they might not be in the right you know mindset to do that so you know continuing to just follow up and have conversations be a resource when needed i think it goes back to one of a statement that another advisor i work with made made most people don't need a financial plan most people just need a budget and i don't do financial planning but it gets to the it gets to the idea of you know People get overwhelmed with this stuff, and if you put a huge, you know, plan together with some, for somebody that's you know hundred pages long, 
all right, where, where do you start again with that sort of stuff? And how, you know, how do you kind of implement that? And it's gotta be baby steps. It's gotta be manageable steps. And you gotta understand that you might have to, you might have to repeat those steps a couple of times before you get enough momentum to, you know, get employ employees to engage with an EAP program. I think a, a really helpful idea that I've started to implement is trying to get a champion within the company for, for different ideas and, and, for example, around an EAP program, I keep saying EAP, EAP is employee assistance program. So something that, you know, a lot of carriers offer to employees in terms of, you know, wellness support, you know, they can have, there's, there's well preparation for a lot of employees when, you know, I think it's the statistics, 60 or 70% of people don't even have a will. And, you know, just really simple stuff. You're not going to, you know, the, the EAP program isn't going to set up a bunch of trust for somebody, but it's going to get, you know, sort of very basic, you know, will in place. And is it going to be perfect? No, they probably, you know, and they, they should, you know, probably take further steps at some point, but just to get something in place is the, again, taking a baby step and then building on that. And it takes, it's got to be a long, it's got to be a long game. It can't be, you know, just short-term perspective. You got to, this is something that's going to build over a two, three, five year, you know, strategy of, you know, really trying to engage and make sure that people understand the resources that are available to them. Well, I love how you described that long-term approach, because I do think, you know, we, we certainly in our, in our team emphasize that as much as possible that, you know, education is really about the repeated delivery of education, not any one yeah. topic per se or presentation or resource might be it. So, so when you think, oh, well, let's get this webinar on this topic because that'll solve it or that'll do it. Or it's, you know, it's very unlikely that that's just going to be it. But if you're consistently making sure that, you know, this is a part of your, your company culture, that there's an intentional rhythm of engagement. So that way you're creating this space and these opportunities for employees to, to learn, to grow and, and to connect more Then that in and of itself becomes that, that mechanism to say, oh, well, you know, I, I've been putting off, they've done six workshops in the last six months and I missed all of them. Maybe I should catch the seventh one, right? Because you've created that level of consistency, that's where you start to catch people more frequently versus just doing it one time a year or twice a year or whatever, when it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know how serious even the delivery of that is. But I think that that, and, and I also love that idea of, of finding a champion, somebody other than maybe a business owner or the HR person that can also be, you know, engaging with people to encourage them to take advantage of things. How do you work with employers in that particular situation? What does that look like to to get somebody else to champion things? Yeah. So I think it's it's really just coming down to if somebody has a good experience to make sure you ask them to let other people know what that experience was and how that helped them out. I can think of a, a couple examples just in the last few months where, you know, I, I was working with an employee who was going in every month for an injection in his eye because he was dealing with some retinopathy from diabetes. And every time he was going into the facility, he was getting charged an admission fee, a $500, you know, admission fee just to get a shot in his eye for a 15 minute visit. So he, he brought the bill to me and I, I looked at the bill and I said, this, this isn't right. They shouldn't be charging you $500 admission fee just to get a, you know, a shot. So went, went to the carrier and, you know, or excuse me, the, the facility and, you know, got, got them to do, uh, reduce the, the $500 fee that they were charging every, every time he went into the office. So he, he now understands the value of having a meeting to discuss because that came up in a discussion around around the renewal you know we were sitting down having a discussion and 
know, trying to figure out what plan made the most sense for him. He said, well, this plan, again, a lot of out of, out of pocket expenses. I said, what do you mean by that? And, you know, he showed me the bill and the out of pocket expenses were way higher than they should have been. So I think a lot of people just avoid having those, those, you know, meetings, you know, with, with a, either a benefits counselor or, you know, somebody like myself, you know, whoever, whoever is there as a resource, people just say, ah, they're, you know, it's not worth my time, but it was obviously worth the t- his time in that particular situation because he he, under- he understood the value of taking 15, 20 minutes to sit down and, you know, and talk about, you know, what sort of experience he's had on the health plan. And I think people, again, don't understand the mechanisms behind, you know, health insurance and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, what a copay is, it, again, it gets back to that education piece, right? Even the, the most simple, that's one of the things that I do is the ABCs of healthcare with the, the companies that I work with. So just explaining what a copay is, you know, what a deductible is, what an out-of-pocket maximum is, all that sort of stuff where not trying to sell anything, just trying to educate people and, you know, help, help them make decisions that, again, as the costs continue to increase, this is one of the most important financial decisions people make on an annual basis um, in terms of what their benefit elections are. So, yeah. So, and then just making sure that when those conversations happen, when you have a win like that, making sure that other employees understand the value of, you know, having those meetings and just asking the employees that, that have those experiences to share that those experiences with other employees. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's about as simple as it comes, but you're right. Cause I don't, I don't think people naturally do that. And, and it is, it's an easy way to create a bit of a buzz and a groundswell and also help other people be engaged because these are very, very individual experiences that I think we naturally don't want to talk about. You know, certainly sometimes people raise their hand or complain if there's a real problem, but, but, you know, a lot of the other things that might be considered normal or even good, they don't just necessarily know that, that, you know, other people might have the exact same dynamic. And so it's, yeah, it is important to, to, for those that are willing to share, or at least to let people know, like, hey, that was really great, or, you know, Josh was really helpful. And if you have issues, you should certainly sit down and, you know, talk to him or talk to their team or what have you. And I think I want to take what we've just kind of covered. And and I think one of the things that probably employers need to be really examining is not a hard dollar cost issue. It's who's helping you do this? Do you have the right partners, the right parties that are supporting your benefits delivery experience, because this shouldn't obviously fall on, you know, your shoulders, the HR person's shoulders, or people who aren't necessarily licensed and trained in insurance and all that kind of stuff. What do you what do you think a good partnership between either a broker or a benefits consultant or an HR consultant looks like? And how have you kind of tried to deliver a better experience for the people that you're working with? Yeah. So I think one of the things that I've been guilty of in the past is trying to do too much myself, you know, in terms of trying to put too much on, on my plate and trying to be the expert in everything. It's, you know, particularly when it comes to the companies that I work with, primarily most of the employers I work with are under 50 employees. So, you know, if they have an HR department, it's one person, they're doing 500 different things at the company. A lot of times they just fell into the role because they've been at the company the longest. <laughs> so they don't really have, you know, the background or the capacity to be able to, you know, address all the issues around not only benefits design, but compliance and, you know, hiring and firing, whatever it may be. There's so there's so many different issues that these employers and, and the people that handle HR and benefits at those companies have to deal with. So creating really strong partnerships with other professionals that I, you know, I've developed a trust with. And I know that if I bring them 
you know, in on a conversation, it's, it's going to be valuable to that employer. And, you know, there's, there are a lot of, there's a lot of consolidation going on. There's, there's a ton of merger and acquisition, you know, in our space. So those smaller employers are getting sort of overlooked, you know, when, when that local insurance agents agency that used to be do their benefits is gobbled up by this huge national brokerage and your 50 employees where that was close relationship and you knew the people at the firm and all that sort of stuff that changes a lot you know when when you know that merger occurs so the the biggest obstacle that we have to address now is is how to bring resources to the table for those employers and again you can't do it all yourself so creating a, a trusted you know, group of professionals that can help out in a variety of situations and, you know, just sort of saying, all right, I know a person who can help here and a person who can help here and maintaining lines of communication between everyone, because I, I think that's really the most important piece of creating an overall strategy and, and developing a really strong partnership is, is making sure that it's not just a handoff, that you kind of know what's going on in each, you know, each area so that everyone and work more efficiently to sort of improve the situation for the companies that we're working with. I really like that. And, you know, I mean, I think that that's about as good of a way to describe it because we have, we're very fortunate to have a lot of, of both professional relationships as well as access to resources through, I mean, even just making sure that our carrier partners are helping out, right? You know, yeah. it's, it's another, you know, the guardians, the the United Healthcare, there's a lot of resources that the insurance providers that you're already paying for policies from, they've mm-hmm. got a lot of stuff that they want to make sure they provide to you and, and taking advantage, of, like you were saying at the very beginning, of all of those things, but not in, a, in any overwhelming sense, because you know there's a lot of things that you can pull off the shelf, but you want to make sure that it's done, that it's right, and that it's going to be value added and that the right parties are, are, are involved in that. And I think that, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a huge, I have to imagine it's a big relief when people are working with you and you're able to tell them, it's not just me, but I also have some other resources here to help with these things so that way you're going to get the best care and experience possible. It's going to yeah. be a pretty good, good experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, there's, it, it never, when you, when you get a, a lot of different personalities and a lot of different, you know, perspectives on how to do business and whatever it may be, again, you know, it's, it, it can, it can get confusing if, if the, again, the communication needs to be there where you understand sort of the overall objective. For, for where the where the company is looking to go and putting the right pieces together for them because you can't solve all these issues all at once so sort of prioritizing you know what what needs to be addressed first you know and, and taking steps along the way that's again getting back to sort of playing the long game rather than just sort of going in and you know reactively adjusting to current situation you need to be thinking about how that will impact the overall strategy you know years in advance so yeah, I think uh, it's it's it adds it adds a lot more complexity. It, it, I think the old the old way of doing health insurance brokerage was a lot easier, just you know, kind of spreadsheeting a bunch of uh, carriers and you know the the rates and that sort of stuff. But uh, I think it's it's much more interesting and engaging to take the approach where sort of trying to address a lot of different issues. And I enjoy it. I think it's you know it's the employees that we work with are dealing with a lot of a lot of stress a lot of you know financial insecurity and you know there's a lot we can do to help it's just a matter of figuring out the best way to do that yeah and, and i'm glad you brought that up because you know we both read a bunch of 
not just articles, but some great studies. And I was just looking at this before we even started our conversation, the one from Guardian in 2023 that said, you know, financial wellness and well-being is at an all-time low, which for us probably wasn't a surprising thing, but it goes back into what we were talking about in terms of those, you know, looking at benefits in, in, a, in a larger context of those three overall domains, you know, from, from health to, to mental and now financial and finding that to be something that probably, you know, hasn't been cultivated enough or focused on enough. I like what you were saying about, you know, getting in, not, not, you know, yes, can it be more complex to be doing more things in terms of education and delivery? But if you're doing it consistently over time and you've got this strategy of engagement, this strategy of, of cultivating a better experience for employees, I have to imagine that that you said it earlier, that that does improve the bottom line experience for everybody involved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of our more mundane tasks, you, know, you one of the articles you sent over was talking about AI and some opportunities. I think a huge opportunity that is presenting itself in our space is a lot of a lot of our time is taken up by these administrative tasks and paperwork and compliance and all this stuff that is is sort of mind numbing <laughs> to me. <laughs> but it has to be done, right? I've always I've always been more intrigued by the you know the theoretical side of things, like what what could be done and you know sort of you know how to you know move the move the ball down the field for whatever specific you know objective is is at on the table at that particular point in time but there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes to achieve that and it, it can't be overlooked but the more we can sort of get that stuff off our plates through you know you know automation and ai and whatever it may be i think the the better we are going to be as an industry at sort of helping the underlying issue that exists within the companies I mean, let's, let's face it as a country, we just aren't very healthy. And, you know, we talk all day about ways to address the costs of all this stuff, but it isn't, it isn't under, it isn't addressing the underlying issue that employees just aren't healthy. And it's not just employees, it's Americans in general. And I think there's a lot of you know, reasons behind that, but as we can sort of offload all this, you know, the paperwork and the day-to-day -day stuff, we, we as a profession and our, the companies that we work with are going to have more time and energy to devote towards the things that really matter to, to the employees that we work with. And I think it's exciting. I think we're kind of, especially being, your, your, your firm's larger than ours, but just being sort of a more local, regional outfit, we have the ability to adapt and change and, you know, kind of bring ideas to the table and see, hey, is this going to work? And if it doesn't work, you know, we can move on from that pretty quickly. We don't have all this infrastructure behind us where, you know, we've, we've created all these all these, you know, mechanisms that need to be, you know, redirected or whatever it may be. You know, I think it's 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 an exciting time in the benefit space and, you know, both from a growth perspective, but also the impact from the perspective of the impact that we can have. And I think it, it's gotta go and you know, the conversation has to go outside of just, you know, what we can do from, you know, products that we can bring to it to the table, but you know, more meaningful conversations. And it can't just stop, you know, it can't just stop with the companies that we work with. I really think that we need to focus on sort of building the communities that we work in too. And that's, you know, both you and I are pretty involved with NAFA. I think that's, you know, a huge opportunity to sort of with some of the financial literacy initiatives and that sort of thing that are going on both at a national and a state level. I think, you know, there's at least a dozen states now, may, maybe more at this point that have financial literacy requirements in schools. We're working on that here in Massachusetts. And, you know, it's, it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be something that starts from, from, you know, the time that 
kids are, you know, learning a, a, about all the basics. You know, this has got to be one of the basics that they learn about. And, you know, again, <laughs> maybe a little too, too optimistic to, to think we could, you know, solve all these problems, but you, you got to kind of take steps, take the steps that you can individually to address it. And if enough people get behind these ideas, you know, it will, you know, lead to a more productive, you know, more healthy society overall. Well, and I think that that's a great kind of last point to bring it all home is that, you know, it, it, it is, I think all of our imperatives, uh, in, in wherever we are in, in the ecosystem of, of, you know, employing Americans, that, that what we can do to impact our little portion of it is, is important, but it also has ramifications beyond that. And so if everyone can really expand their paradigm and recognize that, you know, if I take not just care of my employees by giving them a benefits package, that's good, but actually delivering those benefits in a way that improves their lives, that improves their health, that makes them less stressed out at home, not just at work, then that has, you know, that has a ripple effect. And, and also, you know, what can we then do to go beyond that in our communities at the state? And, you know, yeah, we can't boil the ocean, but we can, we can take these steps. And, and the more steps we take, I think the better it's going to be. So I, uh, I, uh, I agree with you hundred percent. I appreciate you coming on today, my friend. What kind of what kind of parting thoughts do you want to leave with our audience? Any any shout outs you want to make? Well, shout out to my my partner. So we we joined forces back September first. Brian McDermott and I, you know, we we kind of had been working together a little bit, sharing technology and that sort of thing. And through discussions around you know different cases we were working on and that sort of thing, we figured out that we have a very similar approach to business and you know what we want to do professionally, but also you know personally as well. You know, it's it's a very meaningful and important industry that we're in and you know we can really we can really do a lot to improve the lives of, of the people that we work with and it's it's easy to get sidetracked by the frustration or the day-to-day you know things that we have to deal with working in insurance but overall i think uh there's an increasing recognition of the importance of of you know the benefits that companies provide and yeah just looking forward to sort of seeing where this goes you know uh we officially launched September 1st and, you know, we're, we're really looking to grow. So onward and upward, I think, uh, yeah, we, there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there and especially, especially with the companies that, in the space that we're working with. So it's awesome. Yeah. Ron going out there and making it happen. That's fantastic. Yeah. How, how can, how can someone get a hold of you? How, how do you want people to find you? Yeah. You can go to our website, uh, prisonbenefits.com, P-R-I-S-M. Uh, if we get, we get the captions on LinkedIn. You know, we've done a couple of LinkedIn posts where it was prison, P-R-I-S-O-N benefits. We're, it's, we're not looking to lock, lock anyone up. Yeah, it's P-R-I-S-M benefits. And then, yeah, you can always reach out through email, josh at prismbenefits.com. Happy to have conversations with anybody that's interested in exploring any of the topics we discussed. Because regardless of you know, whether we end up working together, I think it's fun to talk about this stuff and, you know, kind of share ideas and yeah, so I really appreciate you bringing me on and yeah, looking forward to seeing where, where, where all this stuff goes. Awesome. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel.
The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Heaney is a registered representative and an investment advisory representative of Dempsey Lord Smith, LLC. Dempsey Lord Smith LLC is not affiliated with the Haney Company. Securities offered through Dempsey Lord Smith LLC, Membra, Finra, SIPC. Advisory services offered through Dempsey Lord Smith LLC, a U.S. SEC registered investment advisor.